The Big Apple Inn is in Jackson, Mississippi. And to be honest, if you're looking at it from the street, it's a pretty unassuming place. Next to us is a vacant spot. Next to that is a vacant spot. And then upstairs are all broken windows. The building looks like it's demolished or should be demolished. And if you walk in, still a bit underwhelmed. The inside, the walls are very, very, very greasy. (laughs) And the paint is peeling. It looks almost like you're stepping back in time. And if you do step back in time, you'll realize this place is anything but unassuming. The Big Apple Inn used to be in the heart of what was once called Little Harlem, a thriving black community in Jackson, Mississippi. It's a place where history happened. Back in the 1960s, Medgar Evers ate and organized from this restaurant. And it's a place where a family history is still happening. Well, I'm Gino Lee, and I'm the fourth generation owner of the Big Apple Inn, which is a, just a small little hole-in-the-wall restaurant in Jackson, Mississippi. And it's been there for 83 years. Four generations, 83 years. A whole lot of pig ear sandwiches and a whole lot of history. My name is Baudelaire, and today on Atlas Obscura, we go to the Big Apple Inn. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Gino Lee is the owner of the Big Apple Inn today, but the story of the place begins with the original owner, his great-grandfather, Juan Mora. Juan Big John Mora, he was originally from Mexico City, Mexico, never legal here in the United States. And back in the 30s, people really couldn't pronounce the name Juan. You know, they spelled J-U-A-N, so they Juan, Juan, you know, and so everybody just started calling him John. Now, John was pretty short, and folks like to joke that he was five feet tall and five feet wide. So they started calling him Big John, Big John Mora. When he first got into the U.S., Big John initially went to Chicago. There, he met and fell in love with a Black woman who the family calls May Mama. They had one child, a son, Harold, in 1916. Chicago wasn't working out. Big John was having a tough time finding work. He got a call from some friends that were down in Mississippi. They told him there's work in the corn and cotton fields. So Big John packed up the family and headed down to Jackson. It was really cool because um, as a group of them worked, 
There was also a group that would prepare lunch while the other people worked. One of the things they liked to eat for lunch were tamales, a food from back home in Mexico. And my great-grandfather said, well, man, I make a great hot tamale. So Big John brought some in for the other guys, and they loved his food. And pretty soon, he's thinking maybe this is another side gig to make some money. So he ended up downtown Jackson, Mississippi, trying to figure out a way to make a living. and said, I'm going to make my mother's homemade hand-rolled hot tamales. And stood on the side of the street with, on, with an open fire and a tin drum. And the drum was loaded with tamales and sold them on the street. So it goes from a side gig to his main gig. And after years of selling tamales on the street, Big John gets an opportunity. Now it's 1939, and Big John and his son Harold, who's now a grown man, invest together and open a restaurant on Ferris Street. There is some old photographs that I've seen of Ferris Street, and, you know, um, businesses on both sides of the street from one side, you know, for four blocks. You know, businesses and neon lights and signs and cars parked up and down the street. Every business, every grocery store, every restaurant cleaners was owned by black folks and it was a you know we call it like a black harlem i mean a a, a harlem a small harlem here in mississippi by the 1940s business is booming for big john and harold so the way they did it was um you know one took the day shift and one took the night shift my 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 great-grandfather big john would open up the store at six o'clock in the morning and then my my grandfather would come in and at three o'clock in the afternoon Big John is in his 50s and spends most of his time focused on the restaurant. But his son, Harold, he's in his early 20s. When he's done with his workday, he's out enjoying Ferris Street. I mean, he doesn't have to be in until 3 p.m., right? You know, zoot suits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, He would wear a zoot suit when he get off work. I don't know. You ever, you ever see the movie Malcolm X? Yeah, yeah, With yeah. Denzel? Of course. of course, yeah. You know, when Zell would get off work at the, at the train, he'd put <laughs> that suit on and would go walking down the street. Yeah. And it'd be like vibrant colors, right? It'd be like, yeah, like, right. like oh my goodness. <laughs> he was styling though. Oh man, he was. He was. Yeah. And he'd go to these little juke joints up there were Ferry Street, you have to understand, was was hopping. And he'd go to these little juke joints at night and he'd dance all night long. Back then there was a dance called the Big Apple, and that was his favorite dance. Mm-hmm. So that's what they named the restaurant after his favorite dance, <laughs> the Big Apple Inn. And when I talked to my great-grandfather and my grandfather about it, you know, they, they didn't even, I don't even think that they had the, um, they were cognizant that, wow, we're business owners, we're entrepreneurs. They were yeah. just trying to hustle, man. They're just trying yeah. to, you know, make ends meet. Yeah, and them zoot suits get expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Big John went to a local butcher for the beef that went in the tamales. A few years after they opened the restaurant, the butcher makes him an offer that would change the Big Apple Inn's menu forever. One day the butcher said, well, John, man, listen, I got all this, these, these pig ears that I'm throwing away. You know, as, after he would, you know, butcher the hog, he would throw away the ears. And he said, do you, do you want them? And my great-grandfather said, yeah, I forgot something to do with them. Brought them back to the restaurant. I said, there's got to be a way to eat this. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Big John tried everything to make these pig ears into something good. And eventually, he learned that if you boil the ears for three days, they become pretty soft and good to eat. Big John and Harold created a sandwich. Pig ears on a bun, some mustard sauce slaw, and the homemade hot sauce. And folks went crazy for it. Everybody was going to the Big Apple Inn for these pig ear sandwiches. And it's been a staple ever since. And the best part about it was he was getting it free. 
huh. until the butcher realized, man, he's making a profit off this stuff. <laughs> and he started charging him for the pig ears. For the next decade or so, the Big Apple Inn was a successful business. Then in the late 1950s, the nature of the restaurant changed. The civil rights movement started sweeping across the country. And Big John knew he and his family had to get involved. Oh, my goodness. Big John hated injustice. Hmm. I mean, hated it with a passion. Being a Mexican man, I can imagine, you know, coming from Mexico. And, and, and to, the, to the day he died, 1975, I think, hmm. he barely spoke English. He was really broken. So he knew what it was like to struggle here in the United States, and he hated black folks had to go through that. And um, so when um, when the civil rights movement hit, my great grandfather said, "We're going to be involved with this some kind of way." Mm-hmm. And um, he would open the restaurant to civil rights leaders or or civil rights activists. You know, he would feed them free. And at this point, the Big Apple Inn is in a new building on Ferris Street, right across the street from their old one. And their new building had some upstairs space for rent. And Medgar Evers rented an office space upstairs Mm. when he was field secretary for the NAACP. Medgar Evers, one of the greats of the civil rights movement. His work was mainly organizing marches and nonviolent protests in the Mississippi and Alabama area, a.k.a. the heart of the Jim Crow South. In fact, my grandfather tells me that, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer would even come upstairs and come up, go, you know, go visit um, Medgar. Fannie Lou Hamer is another giant in the history of the civil rights movement. But it wasn't just the big names. There were tons of activists that knew the Big Apple Inn was a safe space to meet. Like for the Freedom Riders, young men and women riding across the South in buses registering black folks to vote in 1961. So they'd go to the bus station and come to Ferris Street. And then they'd go to Medgar's office and they'd have their meetings in Medgar's office or they'd try to have it in Medgar's office. Medgar's office was only about 10 feet by 10 feet, so it could get tight pretty quick. When a lot of people showed up, Medgar moved his meetings downstairs into the Big Apple Inn. It was kind of cool to be packed with Freedom Riders and Medgar would spur them on. And of course, that would, you know, my grandfather, I'm sure my grandfather and great grandfather, as they're cooking there, listening to Medgar speak. And <laughs> yeah. So, you know. And everyone and eating for free. So this is, this is I all. Know, like... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, you know, Medgar, I mean, yeah, Medgar would spur them on. They'd go out there and. You know, Get arrested, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my wow. great grandfather said, "No, we can't let that happen." So my great grandfather and grandfather said, "Aunt, if you're a freedom rider, if you get arrested, we're going to bail you out of jail." Gino Lee told me that as Big John and Harold got more involved, their restaurant became a target. For some reason, we started failing health inspections, fire marshal inspections, and all kind of uh, things, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so my great grandfather and grandfather said, "No longer can they come to the restaurant." you know, um, yeah. for meetings and we'll still be out of jail, but you're not bringing, you're not coming here. Yeah. Instead, we'll take you to our house. Over the years, Big John and his family hosted, fed, and bailed out a lot of folks. But there was one activist in particular that stood out. There was this Asian lady that came from San Antonio, Texas, Mm-hmm. And we have a local college here. It's a local HBCU called Tougaloo College. Mm-hmm. And she enrolled in Tougaloo College, formed a group called the Tougaloo Four. And she wanted to be, wanted to be bigger, but only four people would join this lady. <laughs> and they went to the local bus station and they met with the other Freedom Riders who, who had just come in. And as soon as they sat down, they arrested <laughs> all mm-hmm. of them. The new people that came in on the bus and the, the Tougaloo Four. Well, they didn't arrest the little Asian lady. 
because they said she wasn't black until she demanded that she was black. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so they arrested her too. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you know, when they go to jail, my great grandfather and grandfather go down there and bail them all out, bring them to the house. And, and out of the back room comes this guy by the name of Gene Lee and stops a little Asian lady and thinks she's kind of cute. Well, Gene Lee is my dad and the little Asian lady is my mom. <laughs> <laughs> that little Asian lady's name is Mary and she's still alive today. When the 1970s began, Big John was running the family business with his son, Harold Sr., and his grandkids, Harold Jr. and Gene Lee. When Big John decided to hang up his apron in the mid-70s, his son, Harold Sr., took charge of the Big Apple Inn. What are the 70s and and 80s like for for the Big Apple Inn? Well, um, decline. Mm. Decline. And the reason why is, you know, the civil rights movement was great. Um, Integration was great for the black race, mm-hmm. but integration was terrible for the black businessman. Once black folks could go to white establishments and eat, they stopped going to their own. Mm-hmm. And the whole Ferry Street area started to decline then. Meanwhile, Gene Lee and his wife Mary had welcomed a son, Gene Oli, who we've been hearing from throughout the episode. They decided to leave Jackson after he was born because they didn't want to deal with the racial tension anymore. Mom said, tell you what, Let's move overseas. Hmm. And dad was like, um, <laughs> overseas? So they applied for a job. Um, they got a job at the Department of Defense in the education system. Dad became a principal of a school in Germany, and mom was a teacher wow. of a school in Germany. And so that's where I was raised, in Germany. In 1981, they decided to come back to Jackson, but they didn't rejoin the family business. Gino's uncle, Harold Jr., was running the place, and he ran it until the early 90s when he suffered a stroke. At that point, the future of the Big Apple Inn was in question. And Dad said, you know, we can't let the restaurant close. So Dad quit his job. I quit my job. And um, Dad took the day shift. I took the night shift. First thing we did, man, is we gutted the place and put in beautiful stainless steel countertops and modern chairs and all that stuff. And, man, business plummeted. <laughs> it died. People said, we don't want, this isn't the Big Apple. We took all that new stuff out and brought all this old stuff back in and business picked right back up again. In 2000, Gene retired, leaving the place to Gino. Gino has two daughters, but when he started out running the Big Apple Inn by himself, they were too young to work there. He remembers his youngest daughter, Isabella. And when she was um, four years old, she used to come to work with me in the summers when she was out of school. And she'd come down and and she just loved to go talk to the customer. She made up a song about the Big Apple, and she'd walk around the restaurant singing the song. You know? And who knows? Maybe Isabella was around in 2014 and got a chance to talk to this famous customer who came in asking for a pig ear sandwich. Are you familiar with Anthony Bourdain? It's everything you know we we love about pig: the texture, the it makes it fatty, lean, all of that. Oh, that's good. Mmm, man, that is just hard to beat. Today, Gino's daughters are getting older, and Gino says his youngest, Isabella, already has an eye on the Big Apple Inn. And she wants to do other things. You know, um, she graduated from high school this year, and she wants to study psychology. But she also said she does say that she wants to put the Big Apple Inn on a map. She wants to make the Big Apple Inn nationwide. What a story. An undocumented Mexican immigrant comes to America, and here he is with his mom's tamale recipe scraping out the American dream. 
He marries a black woman, and along with his son, they create an institution, the Big Apple Inn, a place that plays a role in the civil rights movement. They bail out protesters, Medgar and Fanny Lou are meeting there, and they survive the decline of the neighborhood around them. And after 83 years in business, the Big Apple Inn still stands as the last vestige of a golden era. You know, there's one thing my grandfather told me when I took over the restaurant. He says, Gino, I can promise you this with the Big Apple Inn. You'll never be rich. I'm like, mm. wow, thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but then he said, but you'll always be satisfied. And that stands so true. If you're ever in Jackson, Mississippi, stop by the Big Apple Inn. Say hi to Gino and get a pig ear sandwich. It's also worth mentioning that there are efforts to turn that upstairs area that was once Medgar Evers' office to the Medgar Evers Museum. I would like to thank Gino Lee for sitting down with me for today's episode. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was edited by John Delore. Our production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. My name is Baudelaire. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com.